Good morning and good coffee. Hey, it's Morning Coffee with Larry and we are live on location in the music capital city or whatever they actually call it, Nashville, Tennessee, for the American Association of Christian Counselors World Conference. There's uh, quite a crowd at the Opperland Hotel for this. Uh, we are actually staying about a quarter mile away at uh, another hotel that is much more reasonably priced, but uh, having a lot of fun at the conference. Dawn is joining me and has been going to the workshops, and, and uh, I just thought today I would give you a little bit of a recap of some of the things because there's a lot of stuff I'm going to be using as material over the next few weeks um, for the podcast. There's just been a lot of a lot of good stuff, a uh, lot of good music. This is this is a, a counselor's conference that is like none other uh, because it is uh, the American Association of Christian Counselors. Uh, there is a common faith uh, that uh, bonds everyone and it is, uh, it's a real amazing time. So anyway, uh, just to give a little bit of a rundown, this is Friday the 11th of um, October, and it actually started on Thursday night. And frankly, things were so jam-packed uh, yesterday, didn't really have an opportunity to, uh, to do a podcast. But on Thursday night, uh, when we all met, the uh, the uh, there was a couple of speakers, and the uh, uh, one was Rick Rigsby with Rick Rigsby Communications. And if you and I'm going to put a, a link to this uh, probably on the um, uh, on the Facebook page for Morning Coffee with Larry. You may have seen this video. It has gone viral with like 200 million views, but it's uh, Rick Rigsby giving a commencement address this past year and or this year and it it was just fired up and amazing and that that's how this his whole presentation was the the two main themes that he had well the the title of it of his talk is the wisest person i ever met in my life a third grade dropout which was his father and uh it was it was uh, very uh, humorous, uh, very fast-paced, uh, but uh, really drove it home with, with um, kind of like a, a no excuses concept built in. But it was his two main themes that I would say was pursuing habitual excellence. Don't do excellence when you feel like it's going to benefit you. Don't do excellence just when somebody is watching you do excellence as a habit. Make this such a part of your life that when people see you, they see you performing excellence. That's different from perfection. You've heard me talk about this on other podcasts. Perfectionism is a treadmill you don't want to get on, but pursuing excellence gives you improvement and is, is what, to, uh, what to pursue. The second theme was high expectations. Uh, you want to pursue something that is that is high, that is a challenge, because you might meet it. You don't want to pursue something low that you hit every time. So um, this this was a good one. This this is one that 
uh, Dawn and I have talked about because uh, you know you can you can purchase uh, either audio versions of everything that happens at the conference or the plenary speakers like this fella you can also get it as the the video the professionally produced video and I think this is one that we definitely want <clears throat> following him was Jonathan Kahn he uh, rabbi Jonathan Kahn he is with hope of the world ministries and he um, uh, I, I have seen some of his videos uh, out on YouTube oh there's a car alarm going off outside is it our van honey no okay our van is safe not like we have a whole lot in it right now anyway <laughs> maybe some candy wrappers coffee cups something like that but anyway the the key things that he was bringing out in his presentation was being a dynamic believer don't just be a passive believer uh, regarding your faith and how you play out your faith in your life be a dynamic believer put it put it to work let it be a source for the decisions that you make the second part was choices that believers must make every day if we are a believer what are the what are things that we need to focus on what are decisions that we should be making just because God is doing wonderful things and important things in our life and he talked about the the concept of love and the difference between godly love which has a, a universal standard and cultural perceptions of love that can change all the time as a culture changes for the better or for the worst now yesterday morning on Thursday we had John Ortberg and I have been following him and listening to his presentations oh I think he may have been I think he was at the uh, the uh, first uh, AACC conference that I went to 20 years ago he is pastor at Menlo Park uh, Presbyterian Church and he just has such a uh, a powerful way of taking a simple story a simple analogy story and really turning into into something that when you encounter that in the future you're going to remember it and I've actually used uh, uh, two of his examples over the years because they were just so powerful to get across to point and what he was talking about was you know so many times uh, you know Christians will become frustrated with how society and how culture is working or going in a particular direction and they're like you know hey God just beam me out of here just like on Star Trek but he's saying <clears throat> you know what eternity is is now in session right here and every moment each and every moment of our lives can be impacted and can impact others uh, and that we are impacted by an interactive eternal relationship with God <clears throat> you know that the idea that um, you know the relationship we have does not have to just be when we're in church on a Sunday morning that it can and should be throughout the day then we had Sheila Walsh and Sheila had a very interesting story um, 
she looked familiar actually to both Dawn and I, and she was uh, on the uh, CBN, Christian Broadcast Network, on cable. Uh, if any of you have ever watched uh, in the past the 700 Club, uh, she worked with on the 700 Club as co-host with Pat Robertson for five years, and she she gave a very powerful testimony to the very traumatic uh, childhood life that she had and how she tried to basically put on the best face she could and just suck down and swallow down all the traumas that she went through as a child that were suppressed uh, not just by herself but um, by her mom as she was trying to deal with family trauma that had taken place and finally it came to a breaking point and the fact that she broke was really the the moment in her life where she actually started a road of recovery and so her her theme was tied in with these topics it's okay not to be okay uh, importance of gut, the importance of a gut level honest relationship with God. Rising above disappointment and celebrating the different scars that we develop over life as tattoos of triumph. You know, that's, that's, that's one of the things that I have tried to point out, and I really like an idea that she tossed out or the way she worded it was. Uh, scars are evidence that you're healing. Open wounds are evidence of a need of healing. But when you have the scars, that's the evidence that you've healed or you are healing from that, that wound. We then had a young man up there by the name of Inky Johnson. And if any of you are big college football fans, uh, Inky Johnson may be a name that you know. Um, he was telling his story of, of growing up. Where did he grow up at? Was it Atlanta? Yeah. Yeah, he, w- he grew up in the inner city of Atlanta. The uh, very poor family had a, a two-room house. Fourteen people living in a two-room house. He slept on a pallet on the floor until he went to college. But winding it back up his story starts as a kid like seven eight nine years old playing tackle football on the street because there was no other place for them to do it and a man who was involved with uh, youth football uh, contacted made contact with his family to see about him and and his friends um, joining this this football uh, program and he said you know I, I we can't afford anything like that because you know my mom works what was it a double shift at Wendy's that was their family's income um, and just couldn't afford that and he said don't worry about that I'm gonna cover any expenses and he mentored him through grade school junior high through high school and he wound up getting a scholarship uh, playing, uh, going to uh, University of Tennessee and playing for the Titans. 
and it was uh, he was he was uh, doing so well as I believe a quarterback that he was <clears throat> pretty well guaranteed to be in the top thirty uh, draft pick whenever he uh, whenever that time came around that year. And in a play, a single play, uh, in a single hit, a hit that went tragically wrong, he wound up being uh, having severe nerve damage done and was paralyzed on his right side. And after much recovery, <clears throat> he, uh, he is able to walk, but it, his throwing arm, his right arm, is completely paralyzed. And it, it's, it's one where it, it, it doesn't look normal hanging. And it was, you know, people kept asking him, you know, if, if that, you know, would you have, if you knew what was going to happen, would you have played that game? Would you have done something? Which, that's a stupid question to ask. You can't go back and roll back time. But his answer is no. <clears throat> that he wouldn't change history because of the impact that it has had on others. And his, his themes was turning tragedy into triumph, facing your hardships head on, and overcoming what you think is impossible. You can find his YouTube videos uh, out there and uh, I'd encourage you to listen to him because he's, you know, for a young man, he is, he's doing a phenomenal job. We also had James Robinson. He was also with uh, uh, Christian Broadcast Network. He's been an evangelist his life, his whole life with Life Outreach International. And uh, he just, uh, the day before, had just celebrated his 76th birthday. <clears throat> And so he, uh, he talked about living amazed uh, at how divine encounters can change your life and recognize the spiritual significance of just ordinary events. Our last of the plenary speakers where we all got together in one gigantic room was Diane Lang Langberg. And uh, <clears throat> she has been a board member of AACC for, well, when I think she may have been one of the original board members. She has been with it as long as I've been in the organization. I'm, I'm a charter member joining in the first few years of it. Uh, but she, um, she talked about, and, and the way she does a presentation is really kind of interesting. It's not like she's uh, giving a presentation. It is like reading a powerful letter. And she was talking about uh, a letter to us, and she was talking about power, deception, and the church. Her specialty and her passion is with abuse, trauma, uh, genocide. Uh, she, she gave a uh, description of an encounter, or not encounter, a visit she made for a training in Cambodia. And while there, she uh, she went out to the killing fields, and if you know your history in Southeast Asia, in the 1970s, um, Pol Pot was the 
ruler over Cambodia. And he basically, as a way of controlling the people, anybody who had education, he rounded them up and he killed them. Uh, he killed two to three million people of his own citizens during that time so that basically he just had people that would follow him without question. And um, hearing her description was a, a tad bit overwhelming when you kind of use your imagination to put yourself there. But she talked about the abuse of power and traumas caused by wolves in shepherd's clothes kind of on the secular side, but also on the church side. I would say more poignantly on the church side. The two breakout workshops we went to, um, uh, I think Dawn really liked the first one. It was by Jim Burns, uh, and it was Doing Life with Your Adult Children. And we just kept uh, kind of glancing over at each other and afterwards talking about how, you know, this, this really ties in with us being we have five adult children. Uh, and uh, in our interactions with them. Uh, what was it? You sent a text message to the, the kids. What did that say? We are learning how to deal with you brats. <laughs> but he had a handout that um, was really, it's really, really good. Um, he gives nine different principles, and he wasn't able to cover all of them in the hour and 15 minutes that he spoke, but I am going to take this hand down, and I'm going to turn this into a series here because it's really, really good. But he does have a book on this topic. It just came out this year, Doing Life with Your Adult Children, Keep Your Mouth Shut and the Welcome Mat Out by Jim Burns. And I would encourage you to get this. I want to find this. This is at, he talked about one, it was the same place we got the other books, I think. Uh, Baker Books has them, and they've got a 40% discount on their books here. Um, but really, really good stuff. And then the second breakout session, um, I think my lovely wife said she listened to how much? 30 seconds. 30 seconds worth, and then decided to tune out because this was one of those where I geeked out. It was a gal by the name of Dr. Carolyn Leaf. Uh, she's from South Africa and does a lot. He's, she's a neuroscientist uh, and, and does a lot of study with the brain. And the, uh, the, her, her topic was non-pharmaceutical approaches to anxiety and depression. And really, when you, when you look at what she was talking about, I took gobs of notes, gobs of notes, uh, because this is, this is a topic that is of interest to me. And several times she said, please listen to everything I say before you boo me. And don't trust me, look up the research. Because she was telling us things that really very much go against what is the accepted norm with the treatment of depression and anxiety. And she's flipping a particular coin upside down. Now, whenever I talk about the brain and the mind, I'm talking about two separate things. And the example that I give is the brain is your computer hardware and the mind is the software that uh, runs on 
the computer. And the general rule of thumb is the different structures in the brain and the functions of the brain impacts how we think. And when you're talking about, you know, brain diseases such as, you know, you're looking at like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, or if you're looking at uh, stroke or head trauma, you know, that's very much the case. But she's flipping that coin upside down and she's saying how we think influences our brain that our brain actually reacts to our thinking not the other way around and there's a part of, uh, of that that you know whenever I was reading about her her topic she was going to talk on it jumped out at me because um, and and made me you know think about it because I had come across some um, PET scans in, in a book years and years and years ago and it was a study where they with a PET scan what you do is you take a picture of the brain and it kind of shows different colors that are either red or blue depending on whether or not metabolism is increasing in areas or it's decreasing in areas uh, metabolism of sugar so it's a way of trying to determine whether this structure in the brain is being more active than it, what it was before and you can take pictures these PET scan pictures and you can see differences between people who are experiencing depression and people who are not and they were looking at the possibility of using this as a way of making a diagnosis hey just take a picture here of the PET scan compare it to other samples and hey you can tell right away what you're looking at then the problem came in and that was there was a study that was done where they had people who had normal brain scans normal PET scans and then they had them think about something that was depressing or think about something that made them angry or think about something that made them anxious and then while they were doing that take a picture of the brain and guess what they found it looked the same as those with the diagnosed clinical depression and so what she's saying is it's not so much the brain needing medication for treatment of it it's looking at what's the root of the depression why is a person having depressing thoughts you know if somebody is having severe depression is it because there's something wrong with the brain or is it because uh, a person went through a trauma and they watched their spouse be killed and they can't get those thoughts out of their head because it was so traumatic you know so you know is the medication is there actually a medical problem or is the brain reacting to the thoughts and the beliefs that the person is having so I purchased her book I'm going to go through it with a highlighter and then I'll share it with my wife and see if she wants to <laughs> uh, nope nope oh I'm getting a thumbs up and a fake grin so anyway so that's that's what we did uh, 
uh, Wednesday evening and then yesterday. It was a pretty exciting time. And again, as I digest this information, I'm going to pull parts of it out uh, and hopefully you'll find it applicable you know, to your life or to family members' lives or you know, just to your own understanding when it comes to some of these neat things with mental health. Anyway, that's it for now. It is 20 after 7. We got to hustle our little booties over there to the Opera Land Hotel. We've got a special guest that's going to be presenting to us today. We actually have uh, the Secretary of State, uh, Pompeo, is going to be uh, presenting to us. And yesterday we saw a whole bunch of Secret Service government vehicles and people that came in apparently to uh, do a bit of a rundown and we have to make sure that we have our conference credentials on us or else we won't be allowed in the room. So it's it's going to be pretty cool um, to uh, to be there for a uh, to hear the secretary speak. So anyway, I will cut it off for now. You guys have a great, fantastic day, and we will catch you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye.